What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Evolve You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Brian McElderry, holistic life coach, business mentor, speaker, and author. And on this podcast, we deliver you exciting episodes, not only from myself, but other influential guests that we decide to bring on to this platform to share their area of expertise. If that sounds good to you, if you're a returning listener, we appreciate your support. Go ahead, hit us that rating and review on Apple iTunes. Give us some love. Uh, email us. Let us know which episode you listen to. If this is your first time listening, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. It seems like, as I always state in my guest episodes, people are tired of hearing from me. So let's bring on some guests to give a different perspective and share their uh, knowledge base and if you have any questions for our guests, at the end, I always link everything down below in the show notes. You can go ahead and connect with them, ask any questions. All my guests are very open um, to answer any questions and going from there. So that being said, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode where uh, we are, as you know, we are a podcast delivered specifically for enhancing and evolving you to the best version of yourself through personal development, business, and health. So that being said, on this particular episode, we're going into more of the business aspect, but the personal development is a little as well as we highlight our guests, but uh, we have some venture, ca actually, let's, let's not even go there. We're gonna start off with Forbes 30 under 30, okay? <laughs> we're gonna start talk about off, it. Talk yeah, about it. yeah, talk we're gonna it. talk about that. We're gonna go ahead and, and lay that out on the table that, um, you know, I, I call, Yvonne, a new friend, um, via all the good things that I've heard from LaDante. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves, but I don't wanna say too much about them, I'm gonna let them speak on it. But uh, these are two founders, uh, two African-American brothers that have founded a venture capital firm, New Age Capital, and they're doing amazing things uh, for our own communities and the Latino community. And just giving the opportunity for, um, minorities to excel in the area of business entrepreneurship and specifically other areas as tech and i'm gonna let them expound upon that but i just want to go ahead and welcome them on to the podcast ladante and yvonne what's going on bros hey man thanks for having us thanks for having us bro appreciate you you got it you got it so uh we're gonna kind of bounce around this is actually my first time actually having uh two guests so if you guys are listening <laughs> you hear three voices um i'm gonna go ahead and ask each of uh Ladante and yvonne kind of their story briefly about you know how they can kind of collaborate on this and just kind of maybe talk to each other how you guys got into this where you're from and how this came about a little bit for sure, I can uh, I can go first. Um, so I'm Ladante. I was uh, originally from Tucson, Arizona. I lived in Arizona for about eight or nine years. Ended up moving to my parents divorced, so I ended up moving to Dallas or well, Arlington, or right outside Dallas, Texas, um, from like '98, '99 to 2001, and then I moved to Philadelphia, which is pretty much where I grew up, um, or at least that's that's where I claim. Um, went to middle school, high school. And uh, I ended up skateboarding, falling in love with filming and skateboarding. Um, wanted to ultimately just be a, 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 have my own video production company doing like skateboard videos. Um, but I ended up starting to get love, a lot more in love with filmmaking and storytelling and um, ended up going to college for that. So I studied communications and film. Um, and my whole goal was to just come out of college and 
have my own production company and tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Spike Jones and Spike Lee being my two favorite yeah. directors and their styles, um, how, they, how they tell their stories and the breadth of which they tell the stories in the different formats in terms of music videos, in terms of movies, commercials and things like that. I always was just fascinated by um, that specifically. And so um, applied to DC, Boston College and, and got in and in 2008, that's where, that's where I met Yvonne. Man, y'all been together for a minute. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Can't get away. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm uh so I'm Yvonne uh Allo. I'm uh the second half of New Age Capital, as you mentioned. Um I'm actually an immigrant. So I was born in Lyon, France to two African parents, um, my mother being Liberian, my father being Nigerian, uh, uh and migrated to the US uh at three years old. Mm. Um lived in New York for a bit on Staten Island. Um, you know, I guess you could say for my, you know, more formative years, uh, and then lived in, um, Florida for a bit, but mainly, you know, grew up in New Jersey and kind of called New Jersey, uh, home. So middle school, high school, uh, and then ended up attending Boston college with LaDonta, as he mentioned, um, while I was growing up, always kind of had a knack for, um, wanting to make money. I thought it was essentially like a game. It was really interesting to figure out you know, oh, you know, the idea that, you know, you can make something for a certain amount or you could possess something for a certain amount and you could sell it for more. And what you made in between there essentially was like your money to do whatever with, I think at early age was really interesting. So as opposed to wanting allowances, um, to me, allowances were capped. So it's like, there was no cap to being able to, to you know, use arbitrage in business building and whatnot. So those were kind of the early stages. Um, as I got older, I think I always had a passion for like wanting to do something big and, and get into some type of big industry and actually create wealth. So that actually led me down the path of real estate um, when I really started to learn a lot about it um, through kind of driving around with uh, a friend of my mom's uh, who owned some properties uh, in New Jersey. And I'd go with her to pick up rent um, and, you know, just the whole idea that you could own that property and then, you know, people would pay you for you to then pay your mortgage and whatever was left over, you know, you can just amass more of that, uh, money and then go and buy more properties. And essentially that's how I thought about building a real estate business. And I was super excited to do that. Um, and I think for me being that, you know, this was a black woman that I was driving around with, um, that was kind of like my first idea of like who a real estate investor was. So I think it def I definitely realized it was possible for me. Um, but then also learned about, you know, the New York real estate scions. And the goal was always to kind of go down the path of building like a really big um, real estate empire, um, starting small that way. Um, so I ended up uh, heading to BC to study finance, thought it'd be kind of a good base um, that I could kind of do everything else on top of that was business related. Um, and you know, eventually that ended up changing. Um, and then I think also going into college, um, you know, my perspective on, on all that was different because uh, my father actually passed away a few weeks before I had to move um, oh, wow. into BC. So I think I fundamentally just viewed life differently from that point on and really just wanted to do whatever was one going to bring me, you know, joy and passion in life. Um, but also like, shit, tomorrow isn't fucking promised clearly. So I might as well do something that, that I feel like is worthwhile with my life. Agreed. Agreed. Man, I appreciate you, brother, sharing. I think the biggest thing for me, number one, maybe the audience is, 
I always was intrigued. I was like, what in the world attracted you to BC from the inner cities of, you know, New York and, and Philly? You know, I, I know a little bit as we talked offline, but I think, you know, that attraction, obviously, Yvonne, you said it changed your mindset really about what African-Americans needed or any minority needs as support, but also your mindset and just in general about being exposed to certain things. Um, obviously, some routes changed. Uh, LD went from uh, wanting to do some type of film and, and storytelling to really getting interested in business. And Yvonne, you're like, well, I was exposed and I went down a track, but it led me to other areas. Uh, can you talk about that experience about both maybe going to, and Dante, we're showing video footage, he's wearing a BC shirt right now. <laughs> so that experience, um, you know, going into college uh, from different perspectives, and then we'll kind of lead into how you guys can join to what you're doing now. Yeah, um, I think for me, like, it's a misconception that just because you're not studying business, you don't understand business. And I think yeah, it's also okay. a misconception that creativity doesn't lead to business. It was right. always in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a business owner. I just tell my story through creativity, like my business yeah. is told through my creativity. And I think it's a, it's kind of, it's sometimes hard for people to connect that, connect that, that, well, if I'm a, you know, if I'm an artist, how can I be a business person? Or if I'm a, and I mm -hmm. think that's just a misconception because I always grew up with entrepreneurship. My dad had his own audio production company where he would do commercials and then also just grew up in the hood where I saw entrepreneurs on the block. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I always understood that I always understood that there was entrepreneurship um, and I understood that there was commerce and business and I always wanted to have my I always wanted to have ownership because I was always around that when I was younger. Going to BC I think for me it was a it was a decision because I just didn't want to be in Philadelphia anymore. Um, I grew up in the inner city and um, I have experienced I've traveled a lot when I was younger and, and still do. And I was just very, I had a very broad um, perspective of what I wanted to experience and uh, what I wanted to, what I wanted to do. And so it actually came down between two schools, um, which was Penn state um, and BC, which I'm mm -hmm. very happy. I didn't go to Penn state during the Sandusky years, but um, <laughs> I went to BC, <laughs> I went to BC and uh it, I didn't didn't know it was a Jesuit Catholic school. Um, mm. I didn't know pretty much anything about it. I just knew it had like a good sports program. Yeah. Um, so I never visited the campus. I just went and uh, ended up doing like a summer program. And I, it turned out to be one of the best decisions I've made because yeah. I think the thing that BC implores upon the students, even as you enter the campus, is this idea of service to others. Um, and it's very much part of like the Jesuit Catholic ideal. But how are you going to be of service to others? Um, and how are you going to be a much better person and a much more whole person after this four-year experience? And I think mm. those are the types of teachings I had no idea I was going to get myself into, but those are the type of teachings that I think I look back on and think like, wow, it's actually shaped the way I think about how I interact with other people. It's shaped the way I think about my relationships with people, my friendships, um, and what the work that I'm actually put on this earth to do and how am I interacting with people? How is that meaningful and how is it a service to others? And so... Um, and that that kind of shaped how I ended up starting my own company after graduating, um, which was LDM Film Perspective, which was utilizing my talents in film, mm -hmm. um, I create creative talents in photography and design to help tell the stories of other fledgling companies or startups that were trying to get a product out. 
um, or get to market. Um, yeah. And that was kind of probably my first foray into entrepreneurship. And then Yvonne and I would kind of tag team and kind of let him tell his story about that. But we would kind of yeah. tag team in terms of becoming entrepreneurs. Love it. Love yeah, it. yeah. So um, my path was kind of interesting. So both my parents were educators. Uh, my mom was an inner city Catholic school teacher um, for a really long time. And her big thing was always uh, education. And that education was, was gonna be the path um, to opportunity for students. And she was big on encouraging students. So it was an interesting situation where um, I actually went to the middle school where she taught. Um, and you know, this was in the inner city and these were all my friends, but we happened to live in like a suburban town, like right outside of that city. So it was like an interesting juxtaposition of, you know, seeing those worlds. Um, and then leading into high school, I ended up going into, uh, to an all boys prep school called Seton Hall Prep um, in New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, that experience was super interesting because I think it was a great exposure to early exposure to other lifestyles outside of just like middle class, lower class folks. Um, and it was really like, oh, wow, like, you know half of my class's parents are doctors, lawyers, or business owners or whatever. And um, like, they live in these crazy houses and they go on these types of vacations. And like, it was just an interesting world, but then they were also very involved like within the school. Um, and there was this camaraderie where we all kind of were friends and realized we all kind of came from different environments for the most part. Um, as a result of that, I think the school did a really good job um, you know, through student activities of like getting us all involved and getting us all to think of from a mentality of like, oh yeah, like college is the next step. And then like a professional career is next. There was kind of no, you know, talk of like, oh, going to trade schools or doing other things. It was just, you know, this is one of those prep schools that like everyone ends up going to, you know, a college after. Um, I think one of the um, struggles I ended up having was, uh, I did really well academically, um, and I think because there were a lot of the African-American students that were on scholarship and were coming from certain environments, um, there was kind of that, you know, bias of like, oh, like, we're not the smartest students, or like, we need the, you know, these extra resources or this or that, um, and that led all the way up to my senior year, though I was part of the National Honor Society, involved in extracurriculars, and like, did really well where, you know, I had known about colleges, I'd been talking about it, and my mom was big on that and, and making sure I applied to, you know, at least 10 or so colleges. Um, so I had already been doing all the math and figuring out, all right, these are my first tier, second tier, third tier, and, and all that. And I remember my guidance counselor um, at the time who, um, I mean, was a great person, but when I went to him and basically was like, hey, these are the list of schools I'm applying to, um, where I thought maybe two of them were like, you know, they'd be difficult to get into and the rest I felt pretty confident about. It was basically like, oh, eight of, six to eight of those schools are like gonna be difficult to get into. Like you should focus on like your bottom four and like you could probably get scholarships there. And that shit pissed me off. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, what do, like, what are you talking about? So I think I kind of just ignored that. Um, and as, you know, being a little more upset, I ended up, applying to one other school that I thought was going to be even harder to get into. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. So, um, it ended up coming down to a few schools. 
um, you know, a little bit different from LaDante where he was like, whatever, like, I'm just going to end up here. Um, after like figuring out all the math and all that and, and what schooling expenses were going to be. So it was down at BC, um, NYU, um, and I had just gotten off the wait list at, at, at Penn. Um, and, and I basically threw Penn out because I was like, you know, I didn't get in initially. So like, screw them. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. it came down to BC and NYU. And essentially what I did there was NYU wanted to take, wanted me to take out a shitload of money in loans. Um, and BC wanted me to take out a little bit, but one of the schools they were losing their business school students to was NYU Stern at the time. So, you know, you finesse it a little bit, you know, hit them up like, Hey, I'd love to come here, but the package I'm getting over here and, you know, yeah, and you're, you're a <laughs> couple weeks later, BC came back with, you know, with the ill package and I was on my way. So I think I had already had that mentality that like, and I had the prep school I went to was a Catholic school and they were kind of a pipeline to Boston college. So, um, I wasn't really part of that whole cultural element of it, but I knew it was a good enough school. Um, I knew it was a great finance program. So I was like, at the end of the day, I don't want a bunch of financial, I don't want a bunch of loans. So yeah. that's how I ended up choosing it. I think it was, um, and I also wanted a school like right outside of a city, but like that was an actual campus feel. So exactly, there wasn't anything too deep or, you know, super like, oh man, this school like has won my heart. It's yeah. just like, nah, right? they threw up the bag and it seemed like a cool environment and I've never been to Boston. So let's do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love that y'all, I love taking people through my guest stories because as you know, people buy into people and when they can get to know the person, they can be more intrigued about how they got to where it's always the how, right? Like we can talk about immediately what you guys are doing now, but I love the storytelling aspect of it and I appreciate you sharing. So I think, I would love to kind of shift into the start, the idea phase. I know everyone listening right now is like, man, let's get to the juices. Let's get to the goods of venture capital because they want to like, man, let's get to the money, right? So obviously, I know LD loves money. Yvonne already stated he loves money. So, but people are, we can talk about a little bit of the mindset of money too and people's shift about their beliefs right? Because that's huge as well about how they can capitalize and ask for what they want and really embody that. But let's talk about where this all started. Like, can you take us back to the moment where like, man, okay, we're having a good time. We're living up the college life at BC, but let's get down to business. We both want to be entrepreneurs. Let's come up with an idea um, and kind of take us through that stage of where you got introduced to, to VC. Yeah, um, to be honest, we we didn't actually know about venture capital in school. And there was, crazy enough, there were like programs that were geared around like tech startups and like pitching and all that stuff that we just had, we weren't privy to when we were on campus. Um, Yvonne and I both made the conscious decision not to take jobs when we graduated because like you said, we wanted to, we wanted to kind of follow our respective passions. So me and uh, filmmaking and storytelling and things like that. And Yvonne wanted to start his own real estate investment firm in Northern New Jersey. And so we did that for a couple of years. And um, as I was saying before, I was, I would help startups and, and new companies better tell their stories. And so essentially Yvonne and I would go to a bunch of tech meetups in New York. Mm. And that's where we understood and got to learn about what the tech scene looked like, how people were thinking about building companies, how they were taking a few lines of coding and turning it into solutions that were changing communities where they thought the world was heading 
and what was going to be needed to get there. All this stuff became extremely fascinating to us. And so we would just go to tech meetup after tech meetup just to learn and soak up information. And we became very insatiable about that. Um, as we were learning more about the tech industry, we started to get a little bit understanding of how these companies were financed and how these bigger tech companies that we're seeing that we use every day, how they get to that point. And a lot of it comes through venture capital. Um, ultimately, after going through those tech meetups, Yvonne and I ended up becoming advisors for a startup that was in the very, very early stages, um, who was raising um, a friends and family round, which is basically just like a round of funding before you even get to like some institutional funding. It's basically just asking your friends or family to invest in your idea. And so uh, we were helping him, helping him through that as well as um, thinking about his go-to-market strategy with this product and his business strategy and things around that. We worked with them for a few months. Um, the idea was around financial literacy and, and savings. Um, mm. And so the, the founder wanted to take the company in a different direction. And so Yvonne and I essentially were like, you know, this is a really good idea. Let's see if we can work on it ourselves. Um, we spent about a year on a product called Lionshare, um, which is basically, it was, it was the goal was to be the social platform for money. And essentially those individuals who wanted to understand better how to use their finances, if they're moving to a new city, and they made this much and, you know, mm. what the, what, how much should they be saving? How much should they be allocating for things like that? But it was around group saving. So essentially all of us would save towards a common goal. Um, there's a, a number of reasons why that didn't end up coming to fruition, but we ended up spending a year on it trying to work through like wireframing the actual app product, um, thinking about how we were going to raise money for it. Um, and essentially what it came down to were a couple of psychological hurdles as well as kind of just tangible hurdles that we felt like we weren't going to be able to overcome. The first was that it was a fintech product back in like 2013 and financials. When I say fintech, financial technology product. The, at that time, they were very expensive to get off the ground and the customer acquisition cost was also very expensive. Mm. And so in that, there was also going to be needing, uh, we we're going to need to raise a lot of money to kind of get over some of that stuff. The thing about us was we were two black men who were building a fintech product. We also didn't see a path for ourselves in that space because there wasn't anybody who particularly did that. Um, and on the other side, we also didn't see anybody that was writing checks into these types of companies or that looked, that looked like, excuse me, that were writing checks into these type of companies. So there were very, very few if not any black individuals who are writing checks and there are very, very few individuals who are building the company. So oftentimes it's, it's very hard to kind of chart a new path if you haven't seen one laid out before you. And so Yvonne and I kind of just came to the agreement at the end of the year, like, look, this is not, this is, although it's a great idea and we think financial literacy and savings is a really important idea. Uh, we aren't the two best individuals to solve this problem. And so we put it to bed uh, this is around 2014, 2015, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, Yvonne had a conversation with a buddy of ours, and he's like, look, you guys are clearly like helping other people build their companies and getting, helping them out at early stages. Why don't you make your next startup a venture capital firm? Mm -hmm. And so we both laughed at the idea because we're like, first of all, we're two broke individuals, two broke black dudes with student loans. How are we ever yeah, going to get a firm yeah. off the ground? Like, that doesn't even, how does that even compute? But he was like, no, I think you guys, there, there's something there. I think you guys, are, there's something unique about what you guys have. Yeah, you should take a look at it. And so we, Yvonne and I knew nothing about venture capital. So if, by not knowing nothing, we went deep into learning everything we could about it um, and where we would be best suited, where we would be most valuable. And basically did a deep dive into the history of VC um, to understand how firms became successful, 
how they make their investments, why they make their investments, what's so special about those firms, those ones who outperform and do the billion dollar exits and things like that. Ultimately, we realized that <clears throat> the top-notch firms of the industry, the, the particular thing that made them special was the investors, those GPs at those companies, they were investing in something that was authentic to them, uh, an industry that they understood or they had deep insight into, um, such that they can build a brand um, and not so much as a brand today, but they were able to build in that in the insular community that BC is, they were able to build a brand around what they were doing, which was able to allow them to attract the best deals. And so Yvonne and I essentially came to the conclusion that, and this kind of hit us in the face, but as we were thinking about how we were going to carve out a niche for ourselves in the industry, we initially basically came to the conclusion that if New Age Capital was going to exist, it needed to be a brand that was completely different than anything that's ever mm -hmm. been in the industry before. And it needed to be something, it, it's something that can't be replicated. So if you tried to give this business to somebody else, you couldn't do it. Yeah. And the way we were able to do that was the problem that smacked us in the face of, well, there's a cohort of individuals, a swath of individuals, specifically black and Latino entrepreneurs that aren't receiving the capital they need to get from that seed stage to the series A. And there was a bottleneck. So there were companies that were able to get to, they're able to maybe raise a friends and family around. They're able to actually create revenue or, or even get their product out to market and get some substantial customer feedback. However, when it came to like scale and taking that company to the next level and you need capital to do that, they, they didn't have the network. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the know-how, the knowledge, to how to talk to VCs. VCs on the other hand, didn't actually understand or they had their own implicit biases on how they were making their investments and they're making money a certain type of way. And that wasn't going to change as well as other, a bunch of other reasons of why they wouldn't invest in these types of entrepreneurs. So Yvonne and I coming from these communities and even thinking back to the experiences and those tech meetups of well, a lot of those individuals that we're talking to were black or Latino. Mm -hmm. And these were the things that they were telling us. If we create a firm that specifically attacks this issue and becomes a substantial partner at that seed stage of, of when the company is, uh, has a product in market and is ready to take on some capital to scale it, we think we can actually be a, uh, we can create a brand and a firm that is unmatched and we would basically have no competition. And so in 2016, that's when we launched New Age Capital. Wow, wow. Yvonne, what, for my listeners that have no idea, they're listening to this, uh, first, what is venture capital? Like what, from a base root, is it? Um, because that's where you guys had to start, right? We're like, we kind of know what it is, but we have to like dive deeper. And I think that's the issue that a lot of black and Latino uh, entrepreneurs or just creatives that have these massive ideas, but you know, they're still working, you know, at, you know, a nine to five or something they don't want to do and they're not fulfilling their purpose because simply they don't have the knowledge base or the resources. So can you explain to us maybe what VC is a little bit, and then we'll kind of go into the, maybe the process um, if someone's listening and they're like, hey, I want to be attractive to a firm like you guys. I, I want uh, some insight into how to get started. Right. So um, before even touching on that, I'll take a step back and just yeah. talk about, you know, business creation in general. So um, there's a lot of different types of businesses that exist. Right. Um, and there's kind of different labels for them. So there's solo entrepreneurs. Right. Which are individuals um i would even consider you a solo entrepreneur where mm -hmm. you're individuals that you're either leveraging some type of expertise uh your content creation capabilities um you know your your pedigree or whatever it is to build a business around yourself right yeah. so you in essence like 
are the business, right? Um, and then there's other types of small businesses, which range anywhere from, you know, mom and pop shops, pizzerias and things like that to a consultancy, you know, an agency that does taxes. And so, you know, those are what are considered kind of smaller businesses. And then as you, as you scale up and, and you grow, when you look at the, you know, bigger companies and technology companies that start, then there's startups, which in essence start as small businesses, right? There are a few people, but the idea is that over time, they're leveraging technology or the product that they're selling is a technology product that there's no incremental cost to providing. There's no real incremental cost to providing that product to a wider group of customers. Mm -hmm. um, so really what you're doing is you're expanding the infrastructure around the company that's providing that product. Right. Um, and ultimately if that company can scale quickly um, and get a lot of customers quickly over a period of time, um, you're generally going to need capital for that. And that's when like venture capital comes into play. So um, fundamentally, I think the way to think about venture capital is it's a form of financing your business um, that will allow it to scroll, that will allow it to scale extremely quickly, mm -hmm. which means that it is literally only for like 1% of small businesses or startups that are scaling. Um, it really should only be for if you were able to, you and your co-founding team were able to put a product together and put it into market. Um, let's say it's a consumer product and, you know, it's some type of social platform that, uh, you know, you're like, hey, let, let's see how this does. And you quickly get 100 beta users. And then when you open it up to the wider world in the, in the span of six months, it mm -hmm. scales to 100,000 or potentially a million users. Um, venture capital is needed generally in that case because you need to scale the team and the infrastructure of the software so that you can meet that demand of people right same thing with you know let's say um you know with uh what's known as SaaS products which are technology yeah. products that like customers will pay a monthly fee for right so gmail if you're paying for gmail business you're paying 10 bucks a month or whatever um that's another example of if you get customers quickly and that business is scaling you want to make sure the, the infrastructure and the customer service team and all those things can scale with how quickly the business is scaling. And generally, you're not generating enough revenue yet to be able to cover all those costs. So venture capital financing allows you to get a bulk of capital up front that should last you, you know, anywhere from 12 to maybe 24 to 36 months that on that kind of J curve, which means, you know, you're not making any money or you're in the negative for a while. And that company, that money that you're raising of venture capital is keeping you afloat until you get to break even and then profitability. That's pretty much what that does. That capital helps you to tie it over until you get to a position where you're building a profitable business. Um, as I was saying before, now the way venture capital works generally is in order for uh, a venture capitalist to be willing to give you that capital to scale, they have a business model within their own firm that they need to meet, right? So mm -hmm. whatever investment they make, generally they need to be able to see that that investment has the potential to return their entire fund that they raise. And what that fund is, is basically the VC's business. So it's our product. We go to what are called limited partners, right? So those are in mm -hmm. essence, you know, our investors. Um, and we say to them, hey, can you give me, you know, a hundred million dollars so that I can invest in the next generation of great startups. Um, and I'm going to employ this strategy 
And if this strategy goes well, we're going to give you back a multiple on that $100 million, right? So we're going to give you $300 million back of that. Um, and we'll get for, for returning that, for giving you that type of return, we'll get a piece of the profits on the back end. Um, now, in order to turn a $100 million fund into $300 million plus, um, which is what generally VCs target, you need to have a wide portfolio of companies because startups, specifically at the earlier stage, um, are more susceptible to failing or, or to mm -hmm. get having hiccups or, or to just being sold um, earlier on in their life cycle. So you need to have enough chips on the table, in essence, money and enough shots on goal in essence, you need to make enough investments in companies so that, you know, you have a shot of having one, two, three, you know, or however many of those being able to get a significant return. The only way that works is generally if that investment that you make in any one of those companies, let's say out of that $100 million, you decide to invest 1 million in 100 companies, right? Yeah. Well, in order for you to return that fund, you have to believe that the million dollars I'm giving to this startup has the potential to return me a hundred million dollars. So if I'm investing 1 million in this company at $10 million, you know, and I'm getting 10% of the company that founder would have to sell the company or exit the company for well over a billion dollars for yeah. me to truly get, you know, the return that I need to make it worthwhile for me and for my investors, right? Exactly. So that's generally where the disconnect happens with a lot of founders that don't know about this world and VCs, because founders, you know, traditional, you look at the stock market or like, just like, you yeah. know, savings rates or whatever, and it's like, hey, if I can get 5%, 10%, 15%, you know, return, like those are great numbers. So a founder that's like, hey, I have a growing business, it's growing 20% year over year, and, you know, I just need you to give me a million dollars, you know, and at the end of, you know, five years, you know, I would have given you 1.5 million back. Like, that's a great return on your money for a VC. That doesn't necessarily work because you're exactly. not moving the needle for them. So a lot of times within the company itself, the, what founders need to realize is it's not necessarily your business or that there's anything wrong with it. You just have to know. Am I building the type of startup? Am I building the type of company, whether it's the technology business, you know, at its core or technology enabled business? Uh, do I have a wide enough market? Is this a big enough part problem for a large number of customers? And am I charging them enough exactly. that over a five, seven, 10 year period, I'll be able to increase the value of my company. I'll be able to increase my revenue 10, 50, 100 fold to be able to return this VC's capital. I love it. I love the detail. I think I want to shift over to LD um, because we're, we're kind of getting two perspectives. If you guys can see now that we have a creative perspective, your presence and your brand presence, how important that is, but also the financial aspect. Right. Um, and both of you guys have that expertise. And I really want to uh, bounce ideas off here. And I think for LD, uh, what I'm getting a lot of times is you guys are working together when you're looking at founders and companies either you're going out and seeking or they're coming to you and obviously you want them to have a presence about them and ld with kind of your creative experience uh what are you looking for or maybe what do you see lacking in some of these founders that you know they may have a great idea but they just haven't put all the pieces together to really create that presence that they need uh, maybe it's not enough time um 
you know, that they've really been telling a lot of people or getting the idea out there or their branding is a little off. Um, what are you seeing in maybe the companies that you invest in? You guys can go look at their portfolio on their website, but um, just kind of maybe go from the creative brand aspect of maybe what you're looking for, maybe what you've seen lacking in some of the consoles that you maybe have had with some of your uh, portfolio investing. Yeah, I, I think in the start, in the startup space, especially at the early stages, it's, it's exciting if you can see a company that builds a brand and they be able, they're able to build a following. I think that's great. But the, the thing that I think we see that is lacking is how entrepreneurs are telling their story. And if you're going to be vying for money from any type of investor, it's very important that you're telling a story that is compelling, but also compelling in the sense that I'm bought in, as you said, you buy into people, I'm bought into what you're, you're doing because now you're making me believe you're the best person to solve this issue. But you're also telling the story of what this idea could be. I think the thing that Yvonne and I constantly run into, and it's very specific, to be honest, with Black and Latino entrepreneurs, and it's by way of being institutionally starved of capital, but what they end up doing is being, if you take that idea that Yvonne was talking about in terms of uh, him getting an allowance and, it, and it's capped, a lot of these black and, black and Latino entrepreneurs think that their, their access to resources is capped because it mm, has been. Yeah, and so yeah. what, that ends up, what that ends up doing is creating a mind state of um, incremental growth and it also creates a, a, a lack of growth mindset. So essentially you come to us and you say, hey, I have this idea. Um, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and we're able to get a couple customers. You know, if I just only raise half a million dollars, I can get to 10 customers. And Yvonne and I take that and go, all right, all right. So you're saying that you've been able to do this on how much money? And they'll say, oh, you know, I've only raised 100K or 200K. Well, what if happens if we gave you a million dollars? Or what would happen if you raised 100, or, you know, 1.5? Where would that take you? And the entrepreneur goes, whoa, I didn't even that's not even something I thought about because usually they didn't have the opportunity. And so for us, um, when it comes to, when it comes to more so less about the creative, but more so just about really how you're telling your story, exactly. um, that becomes very important because that's essentially what you're doing is you're selling an idea to an investor. Of course, you're, you're selling an opportunity to an investor. You're basically saying, Hey, if you come on, come on this ride with me, I'll give you a percentage of uh, ownership of my company. But if you come on this ride with me, these are the returns and this is the outcome and what that's going to be. And because a lot of black and Latino, uh, black and Latino entrepreneurs have, haven't had that opportunity or because it's, or it's not offered to them that much, we start to see a lot of them capping how big their companies can get. And so um, I think that's kind of one of the bigger issues that we start to see in the, in this, in this industry, but that's mm -hmm. also why we're here. Because exactly. the other thing about that is there aren't firms that look like us, Yvonne and I were having this, 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 <laughs> this conversation and I was telling him the other day, I was like, you know what I'm starting to see? You know why we don't get the things or we, us as a black community don't receive the benefit of the doubt is because if you ask a white person or if you ask somebody at the powers that be, how many black institutions do they trust? Most likely, most of them will say zero. Whereas black people are forced to trust white institutions. And so what ends up happening is we don't get the opportunity or even the benefit of the doubt because those who have money have never thought about a black person or a company as an institution to make money. But us, we've always had to trust the banks. We've always had to trust the lawyers. And what do they usually look like? Yeah. White people or old white men. And so 
what we're trying to create with New Age Capital is a new infrastructure and a new institution that other individuals that look like us can trust. And not only can they trust, they can also make a lot of money from mm. if they have the right opportunity and the right guidance. And so as we look to the future and, and how we're building New Age Capital, that's what we're trying to institute is a, a, a company that not only looks like you and represents what you stand for, but also is a company that you can trust and a firm that you can trust that can help you take your company to the multi-billion dollar status through our connections network and our know-how and, and how to get you there. Wow. I love that you mentioned the growth mindset. I think that's a, a pivotal piece that I, I've had to shift mine um, over the last three and a half, four years um, in entrepreneurship. And maybe that's what you guys have to do with a lot of your uh, potential investment uh, investments um, in your portfolio is, uh, first of all, how did you shift your mindset into this growth? And I know uh, personally, um, you know, proximity is power. And maybe that's a little hint how can people in the black and Latino community uh, have this expansive money mindset around, you know, millions and billions. And when you're talking singular, Hey, five, we're not talking about 5,000. We're talking about 5 million. Hey, I need five. Right. So can you expound upon that a little bit about maybe how you shifted your money mindset? Um, and if someone's listening right now and they're like, man, that's me. You know, I, I just can't fathom the fact that if you gave me a million dollars right now, what would you do? Like you would fumble it most likely because you've never been around it. You don't know how to handle it. You don't know that, you know, how do I turn it into two? You're thinking about going and buying whatever, right? So maybe kind of give us some insight into maybe how you have shifted your money mindset and how to, and maybe somebody can listen and get some insight. Yeah, for sure. So um, before I jump into that, I just yeah. want to say, um, just number one, like run your own race, right? And like, know who you are, like know where you are in your life development, like the goals you want to achieve, um, your idiosyncrasies, your weaknesses and strengths, what you value and what you don't really value, right? Because all of those things will fundamentally determine, um, you know, how you view a lot of things in life, right? And you may not view things the way we view it, and that's completely okay but it's really important to be educated about these other views and how people are moving um, because you have to navigate in this world. And I think fundamentally, um, you know, as Dante and I said, you know, we'd always wanted to be wealthy, but there's a difference between having the abstract thought and like seeing like on TV and in the world around you, like, okay, like there's some path to those things, um, but not really knowing what that path is. Um, and it's funny, like we talk about this all the time, but over the past, for years or so, um, the exposure we've been getting to, you know, whether it's, you know, world-class venture capital firms and the relationships we've built there, world-class founders, um, and just, you know, people that have done really well in enterprise and business, um, and even expanding our network of, of billionaires now um, is super interesting. And where a lot of that stems from is uh, you have to we always come from a mindset that like we we deserve every opportunity we get and we belong in every room that we sit in now that comes with the humility right like you know we've been blessed with those opportunities so it's not like oh okay like i'm here now screw everybody else and like nobody helped me get here but um there's this kind of imposter syndrome that a lot of people have that i think luckily for ladante and i um you know we never suffered with from the standpoint of like you know, we're interacting on a regular basis now and have been for the last few years with 
venture capitalists who invested in the Ubers of the world and the the Facebooks of the world and, and Instagram and Instacart and all those things. Um, and we're interacting with, you know, venture capitalists whose firms manage over $10 billion in mm -hmm. funds and, 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 and assets and things like that. Um, and we've interacted with billionaires. Um, and fundamentally in each of those settings, what we always try to glean is like, you know, you know, we'll ask questions like, how did you get here? How do you think about these things? Um, and it actually took some of our mentors pulling it out of us. You know, when yeah. we initially started four years ago, it was like, oh, we're trying to raise this type, this size fund. And if we'd be able to do this, oh man, it's going to be lit. Like we'll be balling a little bit. We'll be able to invest the way we want to invest. And now we look back and we kind of laugh at that, like, cause it's like, we're, aiming to raise a way bigger fund we're going to be closing a rate way bigger fund because the opportunity is bigger and we have the confidence in knowing how to deploy it but we would have never gotten there without people kind of embedding in us like hey guys this is cool but like this is a bigger opportunity or like oh you're going for this but you'll likely you know raise more than that and and you'll have to be you'll have to learn how to manage it and it's pretty much forcing yourself to to learn that discipline of like no, like the more opportunities I get, the more blessings I have, like I need to know how to deal with that so I'm not fumbling the ball. Um, and I think the one way to kind of help you do that along with people actually sharing it with you is that daily manifestation and like thinking about like, oh, you know, at the point when I'm 10X where I'm at right now, how am I going to think about my decision making? Mm -hmm. Oh, what would I do in this scenario? Like you have to start having those conversations with your peers, your mentors, your friends, your business partners now, so that when that comes, whether it's in one year or 10 years, it's like, oh, we here, like we, we, you know, our minds yeah. were already there. We were just waiting for life to catch up. Um, exactly. And then, you can, and then when you get there, it doesn't mean now, oh, we've reached these goals. It's like, no, you got to constantly set new goals. And, you know, for us, I think one of the things we had that's helped us is, you know, all right, we had a baseline goal of like the impact we wanted to have for our families our in our communities, right? And a baseline goal of wealth we wanted to create. And as our mind has been expanded and we've now been exposed more to what technology can do for the world and our ability to build technology and our ability to galvanize other people to help us, you know, build a company around that or, or scale a company around that. Now our mindset has even expanded as to, wow, we were trying to do a savings app before, but like, what's a different, more impactful way we can do something else that'll allow us to really impact communities the way we want. And I'm sure a decade from now, when we're 40, you know, the goals we'll have then like are probably not even thinkable to us right now, but that's the idea. And we have to, it only happens from what LaDante was saying. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We give our folks, we give ourselves the, the room and the space to make mistakes and to learn from those mm. mistakes. But to know that like we have the capability of being world-class at whatever we want to do and exactly. competing with these institutions that have not valued us in the past. Yeah. Um, and that all comes down to mindset and the series of micro decisions you make every day and the energy you keep around you and the people you keep around you. Because at the end of the day, you could also go down the path of victimization. Look, let's be real. There's a lot of fucked up shit that's happened to our people for, you know, yeah. for time and time and time and continues to happen. But if you stay in that space of it's never going to get better and like, oh, I'm trying to do this and, you know, they're not going to ever break me through. Well, then your mind isn't even thinking about that potential opportunity that 
you know, if you just open that door is waiting for you because, you know, you're still kind of fixated on, on, on where you are. So that's, that's kind of where we try to always impart that upon others and, and, and share that with each other on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'll add to that too. I think as Yvonne was saying, like having those conversations, we've been having these, we've been, we've probably spent over hundreds of thousands of hours and literally on, on the phone since 20, I would say what, 2012, 2013, something like that. Uh, we would talk for three, four hours and it was, we were just like, yo man, when that time hits and we got X, Y, and Z, I can't wait till we, and it's, it's constantly reminding us, I was like, it was yeah. important to go. But the other important thing about that is, and Yvonne nailed it on the head at the beginning, you have to know who you are. We also understood that we were gonna have to make sacrifices as our That's friends good. were maybe going down the path of like, wanting to start a family at 26, 27, whatever, or getting married and things like that. Yvonne and I were like, well, as nice as maybe that is, that's really not on our priority list. And also I, that's just something I'm not focused on. So I'm going to have to sacrifice that, or I'm not going to be able to go out every single weekend and, and do all, spend my money on this and hang out with my friends because this is what we're focused on. And so, and even thinking about growth mindset and thinking about opportunity, you also have to think about sacrifice. And it, like Yvonne said, it really comes down to what do you want in life? What is it that you actually want and how are you going to get there? And if there's something that you want, there's going to be sacrifices that you have to make. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be times that you're going to get kicked in the ass. There's going to be times that you might actually even question why the hell are you doing it? But if it's something that you actually want, you're going to have to figure out how to get there. And so I think for us, it was just like, look, this is what we want because we understand how we can galvanize people. We understand with a firm like this, the type of impact that they can have, not only in our communities, but literally in the entire venture ecosystem and technically in the, in the entire nation yeah, and hopefully in the world. Um, and for in order for somebody to see something like that, a firm like ours, we think it'll, it'll have a profound impact on those kids who are coming up in elementary school and high school and being like, well, I could be LeBron James or I can be like the guys at New Age Capital or I can be like Brian McEldry who does his own shit. Like I could be one of those options. Yeah. And those are actually a lot easier than becoming the next Michael Jordan to be LeBron James. And just we yeah. want to start to creating, essentially telling new narratives of what it means to be a black or Latino entrepreneur. Wow. Wow. Um, I love that you mentioned imposter syndrome, uh, Yvonne. I have a podcast episode on that. It's probably one of my top listens. So if you guys were kind of, if you felt that, uh, go listen to that uh, specifically because people, you know, just can't get into that mind frame of understanding that who they are, number one, because they're so focused on the goal, but yet the further you get up the chain, that constant reminder of what you truly want and that sphere of influence that you, you mentioned too, the people that you have around you, like, are they the people that are challenging you? I know, you know, you guys challenge each other each and every day. It's like, bro, you're not doing your shit. Like you're, you're not doing what you need to do. You need, we need to step it up um, or whatever. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people have that in their circle. They're, they're, they have a lot of comfort in their circles. Um, like you're doing well, but in reality, you're not doing well because you're not where you want to be, right? So it's like, you know, what, yeah. what are you guys, the sphere of influence, and I think during this time, and I'm going to pose a question to you guys, specifically during these times that we're dealing with now, um, people have had a lot of time to think, especially the people that have been texting them, the people that haven't been texting them, the people that haven't been checking up on them. They've started to put people and compartmentalize people in their lives to like, wow, is this really a friend or is it an acquaintance? Is this who I need in my circle to get to where I want to be or not? Um, so during this time, 
that we're going through now, I love Yvonne that you mentioned uh, the opportunity that you can capture during these times um, of uh, unrest or uncertainty. Um, as we talked about recently, there's opportunity when people are, are falling off. You're like, wait a minute, like if you're not capturing these opportunities then I'm gonna look left when you're going right. You know, um, how have you guys, and let's bring it back to VC really quick, how have you guys been navigating um, either coaching or consulting your your current investing portfolio clients? Um, and what have you seen more recently during this time in the state of entrepreneurship, in the state of business? Obviously, people have been losing jobs, furloughing, and people are now coming into like, man, maybe I need to start something of my own. But as we talked about, that goes back to what you were saying and knowing yourself and there's a whole process before even getting to the idea and even up to where you guys are now. Right. So uh, what have you seen during this climate um, in the state of your industry, uh, more entrepreneurship in general? Um, for us, I think once everything kind of shut down um, and pretty much a lot of investors did this, basically we had to check in on our, our portfolio. How are they doing? Um, what What is it that they need? Um, is it capital? Is it a sounding board? Is it introductions? Is it, what is it essentially just trying to be a resource to our investments in our portfolio? Um, and I think what we started to see, it was, uh, I think overall what we started to see is a bifurcation of what is actually a sustainable business and what isn't. Mm. And especially in the tech industry, what we see, especially over the last, I would say, 10 years, is just a lot of businesses that were funded, but they were funded on a very, very brittle foundation. A lot of capital had was infused into the, the company so they can get big and big and bigger, bigger, bigger and bigger, but it wasn't actually making money. And I think for our companies and what we always, Yvonne and I always like to say is we invested in real businesses. Businesses where a product is being sold and somebody is buying it and whatever you're selling that product for, you're making more back when somebody purchases it. Like that's, that's simple. And I think Very the simple. thing about what the type of companies we've invested in is that most of them are sustainable businesses. And so when COVID happened, most of them were like, well, yeah, we're pretty, I mean, it would be nice to raise some money, but we're, we're probably, we're good till next year. Like we'll be fine. Um, we have enough money in the bank. Um, we may want to try to raise a little bit more just to be safe, but we, we've been operating businesses because we haven't been able to get the capital that we needed we've had to operate our business in an efficient manner and be capital efficient. And so a lot of our businesses are doing really well. Some of them have made a couple of pivots and, and actually have done some amazing things in the community. Mm. Um, we invested in a company in Minneapolis, um, which is kind of like the, the heart center, yeah. the heart of what, you know, what's been going on. Um, and they've made some amazing pivots. They were a co-working space, but ended up turning their co-working space into like a drop zone for like, um, different goods like diapers wow. and toilet paper and things like that for the community. Um, but I think for us, it's that, I think that for us, that's, it, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a good confirmation of that. We know what the hell we're doing. Like we're investing in businesses that are real businesses. And I think that's the stuff that also makes us very happy because it's our people who are, who are doing it. Um, and so I would say just in, in that regard, um, that's been kind of what's happening. I like kind of Yvonne speak on a broader, broader yeah. scope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say, um, uh, it, you know, unfortunately, with everything going on, there are a lot of people negatively affected. 
Um, I'd say, you know, in regards to that, though, it actually presented a better opportunity for us in our business. Um, so fundamentally, what we realized was that the very problem we were trying to solve is being exacerbated, you know, investing in black and Latino founded and led technology and technology enabled businesses, where these founders happen already be super capital efficient, but they generally aren't getting over that you know, one to two million of capital needed raised hump specifically because of, you know, the bias in the ecosystem and lack of networks and all those things. So essentially our, our goal was, you know, with the original fund we were trying to raise to kind of play a role, kind of plug a, a capital hole within, you know, the round that they're raising and not necessarily leading and, you know, not necessarily having the biggest check, but at least giving them a little bit more runway, which could be another six to 12 months. And what we realized was as a result of this, um, a lot of VCs, specifically at the seed stage where we invest, um, they've pulled back on making new investments. You know, everyone's mm. gotten a lot more risk averse. They're, they're either doubling down on investments they've already made or relationships they already have, you know, or, you know, they're falling back on their, their pattern matching and, and their bias. And like, you know, I'm only going to make investments that, you know, I'm more comfortable with. And I know the profile of this type of person. And, you know, unfortunately, but ha which happens to be the case, we're never the profile of that. Exactly. Um, so what we realized was, you know, phenomenal businesses founded by black and Latino entrepreneurs haven't stopped. They're not going to stop and they're going to continue to accelerate. So instead of us kind of trying to, you know, carve a little piece and plug a little hole, like what if we plug the whole hole, right? Like mm -hmm. what if we end up becoming that sta staple anchor check in that round that you're raising that whether it's just us investing or us and uh, you know and some co-investors were able to, to to fill in the rest of the round like you're good to go you know after you come through new age capital there's no more oh i gotta go through another three-month process of fundraising um but now like it's kind of a one-stop shop and now you can get back to work and we can start adding value from the growth mindset standpoint and you know introducing the customers and all those things and what that allowed us to do was actually, you know, size up our funds so that we can write those checks. And surprisingly enough, we've gotten a 10x better reception for that strategy from potential uh, LPs, potential investors in our fund than we did from the smaller size one. So I would say that's the one good thing that's that's really come out of it. It's going to allow us to essentially build a bigger business um, that we think, you know, is going to kind of spearhead the brand to, to kind of a, a level where, um, it's going to be unmatched, as LaDante talked about, and, and we're excited to, to 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 hit those milestones. Love it. Love it. Um, as we're wrapping up here, guys, I think, you know, as I've been contemplating what you've been saying, and I always revert back to my listeners or watchers if we decide to release the video footage, is I'm thinking about what they're thinking about. We, we've got people on here probably that are uh, entrepreneurs in the starting stages that want to get to a meeting with you guys, right? They just want to get to the stage where, man, I, I want to make sure I have everything right. And then when we have entrepreneurs that maybe have been making a million a year in revenue or plus or whatnot that have come onto this podcast and are listening for the first time and are saying, man, I didn't even know new age existed until maybe I saw in Forbes. And, you know, now you guys are at the lead of the elite and they're scared to talk to you. you know? <laughs> so it's, we want to make that introduction or we want to make a safe space, but also a challenging space to, um, if you could expound upon and maybe give uh, some clarity as to 
what maybe a starting entrepreneur or somebody with an idea phase, where should they start? Maybe we've already talked about that a little bit. Or maybe if you want to go into the entrepreneur that's a little bit more seasoned, um, and maybe it's more specifically, you guys can look on the website down below in the show notes, but what type of companies? Because, you know, I could come to you and be like, hey, I want an investment. But you're like, no, not necessarily. We don't invest in sole entrepreneurs that are doing consulting and coaching services, but we're looking for more tech-based or maybe other industries. So um, if you could let, um, you know, lead us off with, with that, and then we'll kind of close it out with some lasting words from you guys. For sure, for sure, yeah. So, um, I mean, you, and you hit the nail on the head. A lot of it is on our website, newage.vc, but I'll, I'll, I'll expound upon that a little bit more. Um, so first and foremost, I'd like to say that LaDante and I try to make ourselves, you know, as approachable um, yeah. and as accessible as possible because we know that's not very common in the VC industry. So literally, like, we have a contact form on our website. Um, we have, like, an office hours uh page on our website like that we allow founders to sign up for we respond to our emails like we really do it may take a little bit of time but we respond to everyone um that kind of is like within our purview and we try to give some significant um or some actionable feedback so i'll start there yeah. um as far as yeah us specifically um we focus only on investing in pure technology or technology enabled businesses right so pure technology is your selling software um you know your or your leveraging you know a software product um to sell a service um and then you know technology enabled which is more you know sometimes online offline things but that includes e-commerce so we invest in cpg um and, and kind of consumer brands but that are primarily kind of what we call digitally native so they've the brand's community was basically formed online um and now they're selling like a product in real life um mm. but they're leveraging technology in that way um uh founders have to have a product already in market right so um the you know you can't come to us with an idea like hey i'd like you guys to invest uh, we don't invest in ideas we don't invest in mock-ups we don't invest in demos a product has to be in market um you have to have some customer traction generally at least six months is what we say that can take many forms right so that means you have actual paying customers that means you are in a pilot phase with some customers um, you know, that means you have a wait list of, you know, a thousand people or whatever have you. Um, but we need to see something there. Um, and generally we need to see six months of revenue as well. Um, you know, so people actually, for us, as Dante said earlier, like we need to see that people are actually paying for this thing. Um, we invest across, we call ourselves generalists and we invest across industries, whether it's healthcare, you know, construction mm -hmm. tech, real estate tech, financial services, um anything you name it but they have to be solving what we call as a real problem so we tend to stay away from you know a lot of entertainment or new social products um and we tend to focus on things where like there is a need in the market for this product and, and it's it's positively impacting the world in a certain way so there doesn't need to be some type of social impact element but we know like all right you're helping a customer save more money or make more money you know or you're helping this community in this way um and then from the venture standpoint, we basically have to believe that make at whatever stage that, that company is at with the investment we make, you have the potential to return our fund. And what we look at that as, um, as simply is, do you have the potential to, you know, 100x our investment? Um, and another way to look at that is, do you have the potential to, in a seven to 10 year period, hit 100 million or more in annual revenue? Um, so we try to keep it to those basic numbers. So much changes. We're at the seed stage. 
founders are figuring things out. So for us, that's just more of like, do we believe the market is big enough? There's a large enough customer set and you can carve, you know, a niche within that customer set that without you getting everything perfectly, you know, just getting enough right and building the right team and, and raising the right follow on capital, you have the potential, we believe, to get to 100 million in revenue. And if you do that, then undoubtedly you'll have the potential to return the fund. Um, so I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Ladante, but I'd say that's kind of where we look to, you know, invest in companies. Um, and then, of course, the CEO founder of the company has to be black or Latino. Gotcha. Love it. Love it. Um, quick question that just I was interested in is why tech? You know, I think now tech is huge, right? Um, especially from coming from black and Latino entrepreneurs. Uh, it's not going anywhere. Obviously, this is exposed a lot uh, during these times of how much we need more virtual experiences and technology to move our ecosystem. Um, maybe just for brief, brief sake, kind of what what is it about tech and where do you see it going? Because some people are just kind of not privy to tech or they're just like, I, I, I'm old school. Um, but why tech particularly? Yeah. Uh, tech is ubiquitous and it's going to be ubiquitous and it's mm -hmm. kind of just where the head, it's just where we're heading. It's inevitable. Yeah. Um, as we even see now, we can't live without it. There would be no way we'd even be able to talk right now without technology or the venture capital community investing in businesses like the Zoom so that we can have this type of interaction. So if you just look at it at a base level, like we all have cell phones, we all have, exactly. we all have applications that we use. We all have, we, we all utilize technology in some type of way. And there's somebody who invested in that piece of technology that you're using um, so that we can all communicate or interact or create businesses. I think for us, the beautiful thing about technology is that it's very cheap to get started. Mm -hmm as opposed to like Yvonne was talking about earlier in the main street style businesses where you have to have, it's a mom and pop shop and you have to purchase real estate and you have to get a loan and you have to get all these different things. Technology is literally created in your computer, right? You have this idea, you design it out and you don't really have to spend, if you know how to code, um, you don't have to spend much money. You really just have to spend your time. And if you, if you, if you do know how to code, you don't have to spend much money. You spend time. If you don't know how to code, there's already, Plenty of people out there who know how to do it for you for for a fraction of the cost. It costs to maybe start maybe with like what you said, like old school businesses. And so for us, because technology is becoming increasingly cheaper um, and business creation is becoming increasingly cheaper, it only makes sense that the opportunity is going to continue to grow, especially with our community as we start to adapt technology a lot more and as we start to leverage technology a lot more to solve problems in our community. We think that's where the future is headed and that's where the opportunity is. And ultimately, we just look at it as the next industrial revolution. It's now the technological revolution. And this is going to be an opportunity for a lot of our people from our community to make a lot of money. Um, and so long as we have institutions like New Age Capital at the helm kind of leading that, leading that way. And so um, once we learned about technology, that's, that's what happened in 2013, 2014. We got bit and we're like, okay, this is, this is where the world is going. By the time we're dead and gone, technology will be like the shit we see in the movies. Yeah. Um, we want to be at the forefront of that and trying to invest in some of the best technology that's solving some real world problems that we're, we're having today. Wow. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap it up here. And I always like to ask two questions um, to 
to end my podcast. And I appreciate, first of all, for you coming on and sharing uh, your area of expertise as we continue to evolve this, all puns intended, evolve this podcast and, and move it forward and, and really kind of have more uh, high level guests on here to share their area of expertise, to give that value and really make that connection and community together. Um, it's amazing that you guys, first of all, we didn't even mention that you were the only actual founders on the Forbes list for VC. Is that correct? Like the only act, guys, if you don't realize that there were a lot of partners, a lot of people associated with firms, but were you the only founders? There were, there I think a there couple were a couple other? firms. Okay. Yeah, there, there may have been a couple other firms, but ain't nobody like us. Though. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> only brothers, African-American founders, uh, which, which was a feat. So go check their article out. Go check them out on Forbes. Go check out their website. But I like to ask two questions, and that is, how are you evolving? How are you growing uh, during this season? Um, and then just some lasting words uh, for us, if you have any, of just – you know, leaving somebody with something. I mean, it could be VC, it could be personal development, it could be whatever you have. I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll say my, one of my favorite Drake quotes. Yvonne and I often speak in Drake lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite quotes is, how are you going to make it to the top by just fitting in? And we constantly think about that Good. every single day. If we want to be successful, if we want to be what we claim we are trying to be, we can't do it by just doing what everybody else does. We can't do it by just being the same. We have to be uncommon amongst uncommon people. And that is, that's kind of like my daily mantra. What, am I, what, are, what, are, what are people doing and what are people not doing? I'm trying to do what people aren't doing because that's where I can play in my own lane. That's where we can shine. And so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you with that one. Yeah, um, you know, LaDante hit it right on the head. Uh, I, I think I just add to that that um, I think our our process every day is just like, like how do we continue to enjoy life by doing dope shit? Um, we really enjoy what we do, um, and it's not always e easy, yeah. but to be able to laugh about, you know, what's going on, to be able to be in the heat of work, you know, cranking out work and still be joking around. Like we deeply enjoy what you do. Like you have to enjoy what you do or find some type of enjoyment in it to continue to do it over long periods of time and to continue to get better at it and challenge yourself. Um, and then the last thing I would say, quote, I would leave you with is uh, from Rick Ross, Gabos, the game ain't based on sympathy. Um, and fundamentally, you know, I, I, I think the way we look at life sometimes, you know, we're deeply empathetic. We care a lot about, you know, what's going on, other people and impacting our communities. But there's something I want to be like super clear about. Like no one owes you shit, you know, and no one's responsible for your happiness. No one's responsible for your goals, but yourself. And if you wait on life to happen to you, it's going to continue to kick you in the face. So the game is not based on sympathy. Uh, you just have to be really real and realize that, like, I got to go out and I got to get it for myself by any means necessary, legally, by any means necessary. I don't care about the naysayers. I don't care about what my family thinks. I don't care about what my girl thinks. I don't care about, you know, what my dog thinks. Like, like, at the end of the day, if I know I'm making the strides, 
to better myself and to really achieve my goals. I don't care who's in the way or what's in the way. I'm a shark and I'm going for that because the game ain't based on sympathy. Mm. Wow, it's powerful, man. Both you guys, I, I just so grateful to have you on and for you sharing your area of expertise. And again, I always leave my audience with connecting with any of my guests down below uh, in the show notes. Okay. All right. So thank you guys for, for coming on. I appreciate you and just sharing your area of expertise. And I think it was very valuable uh, for anyone listening, hopefully. Um, connect with, down with my brothers down below in the show notes. Um, all their information will be down in there. Connect with them, shoot them an email. Just let them know that, hey, I tune on to your podcasts and, and I listen. Um, I think that is very valuable first to see that what type of people are really tuning in and maybe it might be some potential future uh, portfolio clients of yours, who knows. But um, I just appreciate each and every one of you for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, go ahead and leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. Let us know you listened to this episode and maybe how it helped you out. And that being said, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in the next one. What's up?